0: Go ahead and be seated. Um, There's some things that I just want to address the church, um, and then we'll stand in a minute for the reading of the scripture. Um, But we can just look around and see that we're kind of empty this morning, Um, especially when you go from 100 last Sunday (laughs) to this Sunday. But I I think there's about six to seven families um, that are not here, that are not represented and I don't know why, um, I know several of them have COVID, some of them may be traveling, but I think it was um, Brother Caleb, as he was leading the worship, just said, look around and you know, uh, get the church directory out, maybe send somebody a card this week, encourage them. And there's a particular family that, that really needs our encouragement and our love, and that's Ben and Christina Palmer. And Christina's grandmother has been on our prayer list for, for months. And i do not sure of her status, um, but yesterday it looked like her time was growing very, very near of her passing. Um, and so Christina uh, spent the night in Salt Lake at the, uh, the hospice facility just to be with her. she has been with her every step of this. Um, really an agonizing and slow process. And so um, Christina's... In mourning already. Uh, she's lost her mother, her father, her aunt, and now her grandmother all in the last two years. Um, and uh, she's just a, she's a nurse and she just has that nursing heart and especially for her immediate family. So I know she would appreciate just a, a card maybe uh, or a text. Um, uh, other things that I just wanted to share with the church family have some good news I don't see either Caleb or Tanya. They must be on the other side. But, I mean, we just wait for this announcement then uh, concerning Noah and Emma. Um, let me see what else would I wanted to share. Um, just, uh, we have a couple of new faces. Um, Elise, she's been here some. And Beth, is it Beth? I keep Beth. So, um just go by and say hello to them. And I just wanted to welcome the Haddon family back, too. Um, I know that's an arduous trip to Colorado and back, and um, funerals are, are hard. and uh, So just be praying for Doug and the Haddon family. As they've lost a grandmother and a mom. And um, so we just thank you. You guys are here today. We missed you. And we will be praying for you, and we'll have a time of prayer and just in a moment. Um and then I wanted to share that next Sunday, I won't be here, so it'll probably be packed. <laughs> so, um, I have a great friend. I've known him for about 12 years. Um, his name's Frank Curtis. He uh, is an excellent Bible teacher. In fact, I think I recommended him to Dr. Goers at one time. Um, and It just didn't fit into his schedule. He is one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard and he'll be here teaching for us next Sunday. Um, So I will be visiting family in the East Coast and be back the following Sunday. I haven't seen my family um, daughter-in-law and those grandkids in over a year, so I'm looking forward to that. So those are all the things I really wanted to just share as a church family. Um, Well, Tanya is not here, and Caleb's not here. Well, you want to bring Caleb in just for a second? If he's over there eating, tell him to stuff his face and hurry up about it. (laughs) Um, The news is that um, their oldest two um, are certain of their salvation. And they both professed, that they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin. And they profess their faith that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and that they have eternal life. And this week, I believe, was it this week, Caleb? Last Sunday, that um, Dad baptized the two of them. And I was going to have Noah just kind of raise his hand, but I didn't want to embarrass him. But um, he came up to me. The first thing he said is, I... Baptized, I profess Jesus as my Savior, and I'm alive with Him. So that was exciting to hear that this morning, and Emma too. So praise the Lord that dad got to baptize his, his own children last Sunday on the Lord's Day. Um, so I think those are all the things that I wanted to share. If somebody else has something else, just a praise, a, you know, we're small this morning, so we can take a little bit of time. Um, if somebody just has something they want to share or a prayer request. Yes, brother. Oh, I should have. Well, oh, I got it. Soren, I knew I'd forget something. But it's great to have Soren here. We've really missed you all. Um, and uh, it's good to good to uh, take your family and your boys, especially and your daughter, to the motherland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they ran into a little bit of uh, uh, trick, tricky um, flight arrangements on the way back. The airlines that they were booked with decided to go on strike. And there was just no flights. Um, and we could have been stranded. So um, the Lord provided and got them home. Um, anybody else just want to share something brief that, uh, for the church body to, to know about? Yes. Okay, okay, and um, same thing for our men's meeting tonight, um, or, well, I was going to schedule it for tonight, but short notice, so we'll, I won't be here next Sunday, so we'll just put it to the second, <laughs> second week of August, um, all right, um, let's open our Bibles and let's turn together to Galatians chapter 6, and we'll look at these verses. And God hopefully will encourage us this morning. I know He will. His Word is the source of encouragement and source of hope. All things that were written are written aforetime for our encouragement, so that through hope of the Scripture. So Galatians chapter six. Yeah, I'm confident that His Word will never return void. So we come to this passage, and we know that God's going to use it in our lives today, and uh, we expectingly hope for that. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not or if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Father, as we finish this paragraph on our mutual responsibilities to one another, God, help us to, to take the truths that the Holy Spirit breathes through the hand of the Apostle Paul. God, these timeless principles that you want us to apply to our lives. God, the, the laws of the harvest your principles that are unwavering and unchangeable god you from time in eternity past has decreed these laws and god we can try to break those laws but god in reality they end up breaking us So help us to understand them, and help us to live our lives by them, and help us to take encouragement from them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Paul is um, finishing up the mutual responsibilities that believers have one for another. And we looked at several of those last week. One was to bear one another's burden. Another one is to restore a fallen brother. Um, And the other one is the responsibility of self-examination. And when we do those things, um, we must do them with self-examination so that we do them with gentleness and so that we do it in a way that is received by those that we're restoring and by those that we're uh, um, encouraging. And so now Paul finishes up those mutual responsibilities and the first one that he addresses here is that of the the teacher and the recipient but i just want to say a few words about what what marks a true christian what are some of the hallmarks of christianity and i think these passages really display some of those attributes that should be true of every Christian. And that is that when we see someone who's stumbling, someone who's offended, someone who has slipped into an inadvertent sin that just surprised them, that caught them off guard, that we don't come down and hammer them, that we come alongside of them, we do it with gentleness, we do it with meekness. The servant of the Lord must not strive, must not be quarrel, but in gentleness, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, perhaps God will grant them repentance, and they'll recover themselves from the snare that the Satan has laid for them, 2 Timothy 2.22. Um, and so we, we bear one another's burdens. This is the hallmark of true Christianity, that we look at one another and we see the hurts that they have, and we see the pain that they're going through. And so we come along and we, we shoulder that with them. And so, as a church right now, I think we can just stop and and apply that, and so I'm gonna pray, and I want you just to pray with me for the Palmer family, the Quinn family, and for the Haddons um Sam Cross, and the Petersons they all are going through a time of mourning and so, as a church body let's let's do this together and and show our our unity that when one of our body suffers, that we suffer with them. And Father, Lord God, we're not here just to go through another preaching hour. God, we're not here just to go through some tradition that we do week after week. God, this is your house. This is a living organism. Members in particular, the Holy Spirit has placed for the very purpose of edifying and for sharpening and for strengthening. And so, God, today we know that Christina is going through one of the deepest struggles that she's ever faced. Side by side, she's been there with her grandmother, watching her body slowly decline, watching her kidneys shut off, God having to be the one who applies the solace that eliminates pain, but also at the same time is shutting down her body. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus. We thank You that Christianity is not a religion of a God who's aloof, or a God that dilutes us into thinking that somehow that we reach a nirvana where we lose all sense of awareness and consciousness. But God, we, we live in these earthly temporal shells. That the minute we're born, God, we begin this process. And it's inevitable, God, because of the law of sin and death. It's at work in our members. And God, because of it, our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into time, left eternity, left temptation, and placed Himself in the midst of it. Corruption and agony. Jesus walked through it all. And now we have a faithful high priest who can comfort and succor Christina and Ben at this moment? We ask God for your grace to be exceedingly abundant that in your weakness or in their weakness that you would be strong and that your sufficiency would be sensed and felt and realized and testified to all of Christina's family God that You would use this as an opportunity for the gospel. Father, we pray this for Doug's family and extended family. We praise you today that Doug's mother knew Christ, that she professed Jesus, that she lived for Christ, and she is with you in glory. We rejoice today that, God, we do pray for for Doug, God, and his family. Lord, they won't see her on this side again. God, I just pray that you will give encouragement. Father, we pray this also for Sam. We pray this for the Peterson family, for Sheila. Father, we ask today that Rick and Bonnie would realize and experience your love, God, that they could find themselves able to come back to church and to back into fellowship. And God, that that they would be able to, to use this as a stepping stone of growth and faith and trust and greater opportunities to share Jesus. Lord God, I pray that as we're surrounded by death, God, that it would remind every one of us that we have a message and we have a gospel that has defeated death, that has defeated sorrow, and God, that we don't have to sorrow as others who have no hope. God, today we just want to lift to you also Barbara, Christopher, and Michael. God, a year has passed. A year without a dad, a year without a husband, without a mentor. And yet God, the Bible says, blessed is the memory of your saints. And God, we thank you today. We praise you today for the work of grace that you did in Bill's life. That he left a living legacy. That he left a testimony of the transforming power to take an addict And make him a man that's addicted to your love and to his wife and to his children. God, I pray that that will be such a comfort to the Ruiz family, Lord. That God, that they can look back and say, God, thank you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, today, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things From your word, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So there's rules or laws of a harvest that the Bible says can't be broken. There's laws of nature that simply can't be broken. God has put them into place from Genesis, and he's also put spiritual laws into place from the time of Genesis, and those are laws of the harvest and so I want to just talk about four laws this morning of the harvest and I don't have notes for you this morning, but if you want to jot things down if you're a note taker, i'll give you those four laws, and we'll go on and explain them in greater detail. but the first law is the law of correspondence that uh, like things uh, and and responsibilities and there's an equivalence that God desires in the, one of these laws the second law and it's not in this text but I'm going to bring it up anyway because it's fitting and, and I think Paul's implying it in this passage and that's the law of proportionate remuneration and we'll go into greater detail but uh, about what that means and then thirdly there's the law of reaping and sowing the same kind. That's a a law in nature, and it's a spiritual law as well. And then the fourth law that we're going to discuss this morning is the law of reaping at a different time from sowing. That's that's just a a law of nature, and it's a law of God in the harvest of, of His work in our lives. And understanding these laws and these principles can give us encouragement To sow the right seed, to endure patiently, and to endure joyfully, knowing God's promises. Um, It also is a warning in this passage. Because of these laws, you can't mock God, you can't fool God, you can't deceive God, you can only deceive yourself. But on the positive side, we don't have to. Grow weary. We don't have to be faint about what we do spiritually. There's some precious promises that are found in here, in this passage. So the the first law of correspondence. There's an equivalence between those who teach and those who are taught. There's mutual sharing. The word that Paul uses here to communicate, the Old King James, New King James, is to share. Some other modern translations say to distribute, but it's the Greek word koinoneo or koineia, Koine, Greek, was the Greek of the New Testament. It was the common language that everybody shared in. And that's the idea of this principle or this law that Paul is setting down here is that there is a Mutual sharing, there's a correspondence, there's an equivalence between your spiritual teachers and the one who's being taught, that you share together, not just financially. In this passage, I think it's particularly talking about that, but Paul says all good things, all spiritual things. As the one who is taught is growing, the one who is teaching also is growing. In fact, the one who does the teaching often grows more than the one who does the teaching because you spent all week poring over, laboring, digging, and asking God for insight. And then you're dispensing that information in about 30 minutes when you've taken all week. So there's a mutual sharing in spiritual things as we learn together and as we teach together. And so Paul brings that out here. The one who is taught is an interchange of responsibility and mutual care for the body of Christ. So let's just look at the word taught. What does that mean, the one who is taught? It's the Greek word where we get our English word catechism. It's not the word didasco, to teach doctrine, but this is more of a line upon line, precept upon precept, and it's an oral Teaching an oral explanation of grounding people in fundamental Bible truths—that's the idea of this word. It's the word catechism. It's to give oral instruction, so to explain, to set beliefs down and and codify them. The word is used in Luke chapter one and verse four, where Paul, where Luke says that he. In investigated eyewitnesses. He did it very carefully From those who were from the beginning. Luke said he had a perfect understanding and he wrote an orderly account to Theophilus so that he would know the certainty and the things that he'd been catechismed in. All the beliefs, all the sound fundamental truths of Christianity orally taught to Theophilus and now Luke gives a written account for him. So the content of what is taught, we have the direct article. It says, let the one who is taught communicate or share the one who teaches in all good things. the one who is taught, Tan Lagan, the word. The direct article is important. It's much more important in the original language than in the English language. It's saying not just a general message, but it's the word. And in the book of Galatians, he's specifically talking about the gospel of grace by which we are saved and the message of grace by which we are saved. He's referring back to this entire message of the book of Galatians, the one who's been catechismed, the one who has been taught, It's a passive voice. He's received it. He is to share with the one who does the teaching of the Word. The responsibility to share, I already said is the word koinonia, which means to hold in common, to have mutual fellowship and to participate. But there's a participation between the teacher and the one who's taught. And Paul uses this principle throughout the Scripture. This principle of Correspondence. If you have received something spiritual, if you've been the recipient and the beneficiary of somebody's ministry in your life, then you have a moral obligation to share with the one who taught you. Paul uses the same principle in Romans chapter 15, and verse 27, and he says, "The Macedonians." They took up an offering to send back to the city of Jerusalem to support the poor and impoverished saints in the city of Jerusalem. There's a famine that happened during the days of Claudius around 47 BC, and it particularly hit Palestine hard. And all of the Gentiles who lived outside of this area were the recipients of the spiritual blessings of the nation of Israel. And so Paul says the Macedonians were well pleased. Verily, they, the Macedonians, the Greeks, the Gentiles, are their debtors. A moral obligation is the idea of that Greek word, debtor. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers, koinoneo, they've been made sharers. They've heard the gospel from the Jerusalem church, out of this home church. This is where the missionaries were sent from, Paul goes on to say it is their duty to minister to them in material things. The old King James says carnal things, sarcos, fleshly, material things. So Paul is saying the same thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. The one who's taught the word, it's his moral duty to share financially with his teachers. Paul uses the exact same analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He gives a biblical mandate here. If we have sown to you spiritual things, he says, the idea of sowing into people's lives spiritual principles, then Paul goes on to say, is it a great thing that we reap your carnal things, your material things? And then he goes on to say at the end of this paragraph, even so the Lord has ordained that those which preach the gospel should live from it." It's not easy for a pastor to get up and preach this kind of a message. But that's why I like expositional preaching. Because I'm not here just tooting my horn. I'm not up here saying, please continue to give the offering plate so I have a little bit of an income from North Valley Bible Church. That's not what I'm getting at. In fact, Paul said in that letter to Corinthians, to the Corinthians, he says, I have used none of these things. He says. I don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. I've made the gospel of Christ of none effect. However, Paul says, I don't receive it. He says, but but I expect you to pay your pastors at Corinth. This is what is your duty to do, your responsibility. Share in all good things. It's not just final resources, financial resources, but it's mutual fellowship in the things of the Spirit with those who faithfully instruct Word of God. And so Paul, I think, has in his mind here those biblical teachers who are giving you the word, the gospel of grace, the good news that is, grace is how you're saved, grace is how you go. It's through faith alone, as opposed to those false Judaizing teachers who were the legalists, who were not giving the truth. They had a motive, but it wasn't the motive of teaching God's grace. Instead, it was a motive to warmly appeal to people simply so that they could rack up another notch on their gospel belt. And you can always tell those false teachers because when you become disinterested in their message, they also become disinterested in you. And Paul says, that's what they're like. He says in 1 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, They zealously court you so that they may exclude you for them, so that they can boast, look at we've got another convert. So sharing with the one who teaches. Uh, you know, tithing is, can always be a, a, a touchy subject. In fact, I've heard people say that you know, tithing's not taught in the New Testament. It's only an Old Testament principle. And that may be true. I'm not going to dispute that. But tithing came way before the law ever did. Abraham gave a tithe 400 years before the law was ever enacted. Jacob said, I, if I return here, I'm surely going to give it 10% of all that I have. Jesus was teaching about tithing to the Pharisees. He says, you tithe mint, anise, and cumin. He says, these things you ought to have done. That's the New Testament. And of course, I know he's referring to Old Testament principles. But if you really want to get technical, the New Testament goes beyond tithing. The first church sold their possessions, and they gave everything and laid it down at the apostles' feet. So if you want to be New Testament, yeah, let's go ahead and be New Testament. Let's give everything we got and give it to the church and give it to the corporate body of Christ so that we can just get the gospel out for as as many means as we can. But I I think there is a a principle that Paul uses that implies tithing in the New Testament. First 1 Corinthians 9, He uses the Levites as an example. He says, those who minister at the altar and the holy things, they get their livelihood through the tithes of the nation of Israel. And then he goes on to say, even so God has ordained that those who preach the gospel should make their living from the gospel. So he's using the Old Testament principle of the tithe to apply it to the New Testament pastor in the the local church. This is found throughout Paul's writing. In fact, he quotes Luke chapter ten and verse seven, when he writes to Timothy, and he says, "The elders who labor in word and doctrine, 1 Timothy five: eighteen, they are worthy of double honor." And then he goes on and he quotes Luke chapter ten verse seven, he quotes the words of Jesus. And he says, the labor is worthy of his hire. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4, neither shall you muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. So what is Paul saying here? He is saying that the words of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Luke have the exact same weight as the words of Moses. And so what Paul is actually saying is that the New Testament writers is God's inspired instructions for you and I. It's a great verse that supports the inspiration and the authority of the New Testament Gospels. That's just kind of a, a side note. I I, I love it when the, when the Bible does that, just sort of inadvertently. But now a second law: the law of proportion or remuneration. Probably mispronouncing that. There's too many but anyway, it's not found in this passage, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly, and that is the principle that when you sow something small, God promises to increase it abundantly. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, he says, unless a kernel of grain falls on the ground and dies it abides alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. It is the smallest of all the seeds, and yet it produces a a herbal bush in the garden that the birds come and nest under and find shade. And this principle of you giving just a little, God will bless it back in abundance. Now, we are not a health, wealth and prosperity church, but I don't think we should the gate to teach this principle just because some people exploit it for their own selfish means. Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God is nobody's debtor. He will make sure that all grace abounds toward you. And that's a law of the harvest. It's a law of nature, and it's a law that God has placed in the laws of harvest. In 2 Corinthians 9.26, Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church to take up this offering for the poor saints. He says the Macedonian Christians, they've already been an example out of the abundance of their poverty, abounded their liberality, so that they not only gave their offering, but they gave themselves to the Lord completely. And he says, now I'm testing you, Corinthians, by the way of these Macedonians. Give yourselves also the Lord. And then Paul says this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. I know this morning, if I asked for some testimonies from our little church this morning, every one of us could share what God has done when you by faith, put something in the offering and you didn't know where that money was going to come from next week. God always outdoes and outgives what you and I think. He does. Tracy and I could give testimony after testimony after testimony because our God is so good. And that is one of the laws of the harvest. Again, Paul takes an agrarian principle and applies it to the spiritual law of the harvest our receiving of blessings and not it's, it's not always financial maybe it's the other means but it's directly proportional to our generosity the third law that we see in this passage is verse 7 and 8 and that is the law of reaping the same kind i use that word kind because it's a biblical term it's found in the book of genesis God put this law into place in Genesis one eleven and 12, and God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Those seed which was in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. Three times it uses that phrase, after his kind. Now, I am not a scientist, but I have enough smarts to know that when you breed dogs, you get puppies. (laughs) And when you breed cats, you get kittens. And when you plant an apple tree, you get apples. God has this design in nature, and it's also a design spiritually. And here's a double edge. There's a warning and then there's a wonderful promise.
1: God
0: will not be mocked. His laws of the harvest cannot be thwarted. When King David walked out on that roof that afternoon, I think he deceived himself. First of all, he coveted his neighbor's wife. Then he committed adultery with his neighbor's wife. Then he lied to Joab, his general, and asking Uriah to come home. Next, he plotted Uriah's murder. Four of the Ten Commandments of our interpersonal relationships, David broke on that afternoon. He sowed to his flesh David reaped it the rest of his life. The child with Bathsheba died after a week. His daughter raped by a half-brother. The full brother murdered his half-brother. The one who murdered his half-brother was found hanging in a tree, and his general threw a spear Things that they lost that are so dear to him, and we can ask for forgiveness, and God cleanses us, washes us, but the consequences of what we sow will still follow us. You can't avoid that. It's a law that God has put in place. God will not be mocked. Self-deception is thinking that what we sow doesn't matter and that it will not catch up to us. That's why men, I'm preaching to you right now, guard your eyes. Job said, I have put a." I can't remember exactly how he said it. He made a covenant with his eyes. Why should I look? Just a little bit of sowing in the wrong direction. You look, list those, those, those works of the flesh. You sow a little bit of envy. You sow a little bit of discord. And you're going to reap all kinds of havoc. This is a spiritual law that Paul's warning us of. In the days of Malachi, they would returned. The Jews had just come back 50,000 or more back in the land. And they started to slip right back into their old ways. And so God raises up Malachi and he says, you're just deceiving yourselves. You offer polluted bread on my altar. You say, how is it polluted? You say the table of the Lord's contemptible. And how do you say that? He says, because you offer the blind for sacrifice. Is that not evil? You offer the lame and the sick. Is it not evil? Offer it now to your governor. See if he'll be pleased with you or accept your person, says the Lord. Cursed is the man. Cursed is the deceiver that has in his flock a male, and he vows a sacrifice to the Lord, something that is corruptible. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the nations. God will not be mocked. One who sows to the flesh. Now, let's just put some flesh on that statement, okay? Okay. To sow means to have an active determination of the will to live for temporal and immediate gains that has no eternal value that eventually leads to moral decay. It's perishable. It's temporal. It has no eternal value. It causes moral decline in the believer's lives. Now, the opposite side The good news, the one who sows to the Spirit. That's an adjectival phrase. It's a substantive adjective. It's used as the subject of the sentence. And it's a complete phrase. The one who sows. It's all one word in the original language, but it's describing the characteristic of this person. And this person actively, habitually, yields and submits and follows the course of action that fulfills the desire of the Holy Spirit. That's the person who is sowing to the Spirit. He habitually, always, conscientiously yields and submits. and says, I want to follow the dictates of the Holy Spirit in this situation. That person will reap life everlasting. And we're going to look at that phrase too, what that exactly means. But I want to give you three things today that will help you cultivate this kind of a life. One quick confession. You want to sow to the Spirit, be quick to confess any known sin. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh shall find mercy. Quick confession. A second thing that we can do to cultivate sowing to the Spirit is regular meditation. Not simply reading. But meditation in God's word, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, sits in the stands in the seat of the sits in the seat of scornful. Stands, I can't remember. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, stands in the way of the center, sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season.
1: So two things
0: that we can do to cultivate this. One, I make quick confessions. I don't let sin build up and accumulate in my life. And I don't let my relationship with God get marred by sin and my relationship with people. I quickly confess it. I meditate deeply in God's Word. And thirdly, I pray... Based on God's Word. I'm so thankful that Sharon has taken the ladies through this Bible study of how to pray God's Word. Because Jesus promised us in John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be granted unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So we can cultivate this sowing to the Spirit by those three things. Then the promise is you will reap life everlasting. Now that doesn't mean just eternal life when I go to heaven. I think what Paul is meaning here is that you will experience the resurrected life of Christ right now mediated by the Holy Spirit. And, and I get this from Romans chapter 8 verse 13. where Paul uses the same idea. He says, for if we live after the flesh, same idea as sowing after the flesh, you shall die. Spiritual corruption. Then Paul goes on to say, but if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You will live out the resurrection life of Christ. So when I'm sowing to the Spirit, I have the promise that the resurrected Christ will live through me, through the mediation and the power of the Holy Spirit. The third or the final law that we find in this passage, fourth law, that I'm talking about three found in this passage, the fourth one is the law of reaping in a different season. Now this is the one that I find the hardest law to obey. Why? Because I think all of us like immediate results, don't we? We like to see the fruit of what we're doing. We like to say, okay, look what's happening because of all the things. We don't want to say, well, we have to wait five years from now. But the reality is there's a law that we don't harvest in the same season that we sow, right? God put this into place, Genesis 8.22 after the flood. He says there will be seed time, it's time for sowing, and there will be time for harvesting. So we need to stop growing weary. The word growing weary is an imperative command and it's a negative command and it's in the present tense, so Paul's assuming that this is already going on in their lives. Stop getting weary. Stop complaining. Stop all your Petty grumbling. We get exhausted when we don't see results. We become spiritless and sometimes we just start going through the motions. I know I do that quite often. I just start doing it and I just check the box off. I've done it. But God doesn't want us to live our life that way. We live in a culture wants immediate results. We go through the drive-through windows and we give them our little card and we want our food back right right away. If it's not hot, we take it back. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. God is a long-suffering God. God is a patient God. In fact, Jesus taught this parable in Mark chapter 4 verse 26, and he said, "So is the kingdom of God." Listen to this. Mark 4:26. The kingdom of God is like a man casting seed on the ground. There's the sowing and he should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring forth and grow up. He knoweth not how, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. And it's a process. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and when the fruit is brought forth, immediately then he puts forth the sickle, and the harvest is come. Now, Paul goes on to say, don't grow weary in doing what is well. And then he has this little phrase. And here's the reason why God doesn't want us to give up. This is why God doesn't want us to just go through the motions. Because there is an opportune time which God knows is absolutely the right time. You and I don't know that. In fact, sometimes I have tried to prematurely produce fruit when it wasn't right it doesn't work. It backfires. I remember I was doing a Bible study with three Chinese students and at the end of the Bible study I kept pressing these Chinese students to receive Jesus as their Savior. And They were coming from a communist, atheistic background. They had no Bible knowledge whatsoever. And there was another Chinese student that took me, I had God in the process of sowing. Anyway, his name was Sun Guizhu and it took him five years of studying the Bible with me before he professed faith in Christ. And I was trying to do it in two weeks with these other Chinese students. And I'll never forget getting rebuked by the man that I had the privilege of leading to Christ. And he opened up Mark chapter 4 and he said, Patrick, read this verse. He says, you can't Harvest the same day you sow the seed. your soul right." But that's the way we are. And sometimes, when we prematurely press for that fruit, all we do is push that person further away. And so, Paul says, "Don't grow weary, because there is an opportune time." The Greek word there's two words for, for in Greek for time. One is chronos, the word chronology, and the other is kairos. And that word means a convenient season, an opportunity, the time when things are brought to a decisive and defining moment. Don't grow weary, because God has got all those little details in place, and He's going to bring that decisive, defining moment through all sorts of circumstances that you don't even know about, and if you push ahead, or if you wait too long, you're going to Miss that time. Let God bring that about. The opportunities, secondly, are missed if we lose our grip. And that's the second part of this verse. It says, in grow not weary and well doing, for in due season, if we don't lose our grip, if we don't give up. So there are opportunities that we can try to prematurely press when they shouldn't be. And then there are opportunities that we can let slip out of our hands because we're no longer being faithful. I Think of my, my in-laws so many times when I think of this verse. 30 years they spent in Alaska. 35 maybe. Always just faithfully giving the seed of God and plowing and harvesting at another time. Time when they don't expect it. And one of the stories that just impresses me most of all is one time they were traveling through Canada and they were handing out tracks on the street. And as they looked at the street when they were pulling out of their RV on their way back to Alaska, they saw the street just littered with tracks. People just throwing them out. But they never got weary, saying, Well, well, maybe, maybe today wasn't the opportune time. We don't know. But anyway, that little village that they were in, I don't know which village it was in Canada, but anyway, that's not important. They got a letter about four months after they got back to Fort Yukon. The letter was a man thanking them for the gospel track. But the gospel track wasn't something that some, wasn't what they gave to that person. It was stuck on the bottom People were throwing them on the ground. He came out of the tavern where he was drinking up enough courage to take his own life. He sat down, intoxicated, pulled the revolver out of his pocket, looked down on his boot and saw that paper and pulled it off. and had a question. You died. To Don't grow weary in well-doing. You will reap. This is God's promise. If you don't faint, take those opportunities, says our last point. Therefore, just take those opportunities when they come. Therefore, as we have opportunities, it's the same Greek word, due season. Look for those due times in your life. Have your spiritual eyes open realizing that this may be an opportune time to take advantage of what God has been doing. And I want to use my wife now as another illustration. Um, We've had the privilege of getting to know some friends. They are of the LDS faith, and they're sweet people. We love them to death. And when we're around them, We're looking for opportunities. They don't always come up, and you can't just force them. And those opportunities come because you don't grow weary and because you just don't let those things slip out of your hands. There's the law of correspondence. There's a mutual sharing that all of us are responsible for. There's a law that says that we will sow the same kind. If you want kindness, you want joy, you want peace, start sowing it. You want unity? Be a unifier. You want peace? Be a peacemaker. We will sow and reap what we sow. And lastly, we will reap a different season from what we sow. Five things I want to leave us with. One, I Sort of summed them up already, but just going over again. We all have an obligation of interdependence with each other because we're part of the, body of the Christ, body of Christ. God will not be mocked by our half-hearted giving. Neither is he mocked by deception. Third, refuse the temptation to quit when you don't see. Four, opportunities are ever-present, but through discouragement and closing our eyes, they can be lost. Five, God's promises are sure. The quality and the quantity of our harvest will be in direct direct proportion So let us not go here well. But in due season, we will be. Thank God. I'm so glad that the Lord has allowed Tracy and I to live and stay in Utah for 12 years. Because it's taken that long just to start to see some seeds starting to sprout. We were at uh, Jordan's wedding young men that he's been running with for six years, sometimes some some of them eight years. He knew them in high school. Good friends of another religious faith, predominantly LDS, and some of them came back from their mission,
1: but to be able to sit
0: down at a table with these guys and share the gospel in a meaningful way where they understood truth. Tracy and I could Done that well, so let us not grow weary in well doing. God is faithful, all He's looking for is faithful service. Lord God, we thank You that You have put these laws into place so that we don't get discouraged. God, I thank You that when one person gets saved, God, there's a ripple effect. God, I think of so many. Husband.